Welcome to Old Dog New Tricks. Everyone has heard this saying before, but today we're going to put that theory to the test. My co-host John is an old dog, and cryptocurrency is a new trick. The main focus of this podcast is to educate people such as yourself on crypto at the most basic level, and today we are talking about blockchain. How are we doing today, John? I'm doing well, Austin. Uh, thanks for having me on. This topic is interesting to me because, uh, I mean, I've, I've heard the term blockchain, and I even think I know a couple of things about it, but not much. I know it has something to do with storing information. Exactly. Um, and when my group, when we think of storing information, I mean, I was in uh, high school and then college in the 70s, and, you know, we had uh, paper notes and notebooks and files, and you lugged them around in your backpack. Yep. And then the huge innovation was the floppy disk, where it was a, a more efficient medium of storing information. And I had an interesting experience with my uh, floppy disks in that I was at a <laughs> school in Boston. And in the wintertime, you might know, we have these um, big uh, heaters underneath the windows. And um, I put um, floppy disks with fresh information on uh -oh. uh, top of one of the <laughs> heaters, right? And I went on about my uh, business and uh, came back, I don't know, it was later that day or maybe the next day to find that, well, you don't put floppy disks in places that are too warm. That are hot. They, well, they, look like, they ended up looking like little elf shoes, you know, turned up at the corners and are kind <laughs> of a real mess. But we, that's what we had. And that was a huge innovation because now exactly. you had, you know, you had a smaller backpack with some floppies in it rather than a bigger backpack full of papers Paper. and notebooks. And <laughs> then sure. the floppy disks be uh, ceased being floppy. And we had, <laughs> you know, bigger hard disks and then smaller, I think, three and three quarter inch hard disks. And so that was better still. And then we had, um, well, memory sticks and memory drives and at some point Just or another ended bit, up carrying around you know, half a Yeah, carrying around. 12 of those in a backpack is pretty easy to lose, <laughs> but hey, better still, right? Exactly. Um, and then, uh, you know, as of late, quotes, as of, of late, we have the cloud as a storage device and massive storage capacity sure. on-site, off-site, so forth. Um, and so in my judgment, we've kind of come a long way with, with storage, uh, particularly sure. if you have well-functioning cloud I don't know a lot about this, uh, you know, the security yeah, risks. Well, everyone doesn't know what the cloud is. We're all like, what the hell is it? But uh, thanks for storing all my info. <laughs> it, isn't that true? And, and if you're if you're from my generation, you're just you're you're virtually certain it's up there somewhere. And so, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> <We're>, it'll <laughs> be there if I ever yeah. need it. <laughs> but don't ask me. me. Yeah, don't ask me. For the address. <laughs> <laughs> I so, love that analogy. So we're kind of get, you know, we start with just how the computers were started. We got the floppy. We got the, you know, the hard, the hard disks. We got the CDs. Now we have pretty much everything has gone from that physical item. Now it's going towards the digital. Like you don't even have the physical copy anymore. And that is where the innovation of blockchain kind of comes in. So I'll kind of go over a little bit of a definition version of what blockchain is right here. So blockchain is a distributed database that is shared among, amongst a bunch of computers, right? So a, a database is storing information 
and these little blocks. And each time that a new block is formed, um, these data points can be usually uh, how they're using currently with with cryptocurrency um, is storing our ledger of our transactions. So if you've ever run a business or anything like that, you know you use QuickBooks, your your or something similar to uh, uh, use for accounting. So that is your ledger book system. You have all of your payments coming in, you have your payments going out, and it keeps that uh, balance all on your QuickBooks, right? So now we've switched to a new system where the world is just sharing one large copy of QuickBooks. All right, so. Now that everyone has these transactions coming in, transactions going out, we can see all of these happening on a global scale and everyone can see everyone else's transactions. But we just don't know which ones they are because everyone has a randomly assigned number, so it's kind of anonymous, all right? So when I say that to you, what does that, what does that make you think? It makes me think, boy, it must be really, really difficult to find it, <laughs> my piece of information, which, exactly. which so, block in the chain. And then once I'm in the block, what am I inside of? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's a great question. Where is my money actually being stored when it says this uh, is a, you know, you have Bitcoin, you know, we per- recently have been purchasing Bitcoin. Um, and uh, now where is that stored, right? So it's not on that floppy disk. It's not on a CD. It's not on anything like that. It is now stored between all of these other computers on on this large system, right? So we are now able to not have, you know, the, the physical item is gone, and now it's just a string of 12 or 24 words that you need to know to keep your money safe. Um, and that is definitely scary to the older generation, I would say, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that's what we're trying. Our goal for this podcast is is trying to break down each of these little items into um, you know their most basic level, right? So when you purchase Bitcoin for the first time or cryptocurrency in general, Ethereum, any of these items, um, you are usually using your American dollars. There's ways to get them in. You go to, you know, Coinbase or FTX or Binance. Um, we have some some great stories uh, of getting uh, John in, <laughs> into uh, letting people take his money. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go past all the security checks and uh, whatnot. But um, once you're able to actually send your U.S. dollars and then purchase either Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything like that, you are then keeping it in your personal wallet. Okay, so we've we covered this on the last episode of what is a hardware device. Um, We recommended that was a little bit of homework for the last episode is um, looking up Trezor, looking up um, Ledger and purchasing one of these devices. So if you're following along, you can actually, you know, learn about this stuff in real time. But once that first purchase is made and it's cleared your bank and you know all the all the hoops are done jumping through, you can now enter into the new digital realm of cryptocurrency, right? Yeah. So we've you know we've, uh, go ahead, Austin. There's a, a very brief digression worth taking because sure. for um, uh, my generation, 
particularly in purchasing uh, securities and stocks on websites like yeah. Fidelity and so forth, you would rarely ever have the occasion where the site wouldn't take your money um, <laughs> or wouldn't let you buy shares. Buy you know, it. Oh, you might yeah. have a limit order or something where you have to wait and see if it actually gets processed. But yeah. that's an important point because in uh, uh, two, here. actually, of the um, exchanges for crypto, uh, we were sending U.S. Uh, dollars and then wanting to buy crypto, and we were given, you know, limitations. You can only invest five thousand today in a twenty-four hour period, and and mm-hmm. and this sort of thing. Um, and I, I believe I discovered that the distinction was, and this is different than on websites for stock trading, is that some of the websites categorize you as a trader versus a, let's just say, a, a less user. frequent... Yeah, average user. And so they inst- they have more, or they their system has more control over the average user with regard to how much money it's going to let you invest per unit of time. At least For that's sure. what I took from it. So that's because the first time that happens... And you've got, you know, decades of experience in trading platforms for securities, and it's not letting you do what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. You're not so happy. It's frustrating. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's very frustrating. So, so Yeah, so just yeah, worth it's mentioning. A, it's a, and I think um, it's a very valuable thing, uh, even though it may be frustrating for you. Um, again, they, the finality of all these transfers is is permanent. So while with other platforms, you may be able to like, oh, I missent that, um, you know, here, can I, is there a way I can reverse that? Usually it's someone that has access to that and like, oh yeah, you sent here, we can, we can pull it from the other account and, and get it back to you. Whereas with crypto, that is not, not the case. So um, making sure that, that people, um, you know, especially in the older age category, um, you know, it definitely wants to have some of these safeguards in place just so that you make sure that you are the person in control of the money and making sure you're not sending it to the wrong spot. So I can see both sides of it. But, you know, what we've kind of experienced over the last couple of days or last couple of, of months uh, of, of getting you into the space, do you want to kind of go over your, your thought process on from your standpoint of difficulties and you know, weird takeaways that you've learned from just getting in a couple of purchases? Yes, uh, there's two things that come to my mind. One is that, and this is probably a good thing, that the crypto websites are more detailed and go to a greater extent to verify identity, that you yeah. are who you, you're representing Say yourself you to be, that you're not a robot. That and have uh, technology that I haven't seen on websites selling securities related to um, sending photographs of yourself, and those are verified as part of the process of determining that, yeah, you're the guy who you say you you are. are. Mm -hmm. Right. In addition to the more common two-factor authentication where, you know, the website sends your phone a six-digit code uh, and and you input that. So that's... I've noticed that for people sort of onboarding, there'll always be that aspect of it that can be a little bit frustrating and and it doesn't always work the first time. And then that can be frustrating because it can be hard <laughs> to talk to a human about it. For sure. Uh, you can end up talking to a, a, a bot, robot, 
about it. You think you're talking to a human, but you find out that you haven't been. Oh, oh well. No. Yeah. The long um, Right. A bunch of robots and, are there. Right. And then the second thing I, I learned is that as you start to get familiar with the, with the sites, you do understand what you need to do to work around some of the mm, precautions that were valuable to you you had to endure them on the front end. And so then you can, you have more sort of freedom with your money and well, you're, you're better grounded and have a better sense of what you're doing. Um, but sure. um, it's definitely a, 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 a different experience in, in a real way from uh, securities exchanges and something that um, my generation of folks, take away. Uh, particularly if they've been working with uh, uh, securities p- platforms for uh, years, it'll be a little frustrating for them, on just on the front end for a while. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, it's definitely you know again, this is the whole point of this show, old dog new tricks. We're trying to see what things are different from the traditional landscape and bring you over into the new digital landscape, right? So um, you know, be prepared to jump through a lot of hoops to finally get your U.S. dollars into crypto. Um, so if that's your your goal here to kind of start um, exploring this uh, landscape, which is you know the kind of the whole goal of educating at the very basic level here, um, it's it's definitely a lot of hoops. All right, so for sure, um, the n- next little kind of tidbit of information we're going to start with, we we you know kind of explained what a blockchain was. It's a little bit of a, a, a s- storage of information that each next bit of information is stored on chain. So, you know, every block um, has a, a amount of storage that is the, the capacity, just how your hard drive, you know, can reach capacity, your phone can be your capacity, right? So uh, when it reaches that full block, it then prints that block and a little bit of a code is left behind to to point to the next one in the chain. So that everything that happened in that previous block is now permanent um, unless you make a change in the subsequent upcoming block. Um, so as we go forward, you know, Bitcoin, um, we all, we're probably going to be mostly referencing Bitcoin on this because it's the most basic and most simplistic um, so that you can kind of get your, your footing around something that's very simple um, and then moving forward. So. How Bitcoin has utilized blockchain is everyone has how much Bitcoin they they've stored. So I have five Bitcoin, and and John here has zero. Um, I'm a nice guy. I'm gonna lend. I'm gonna send him one Bitcoin. My account will say negative one, so I now have four Bitcoins, and then John goes from zero to one, and that is written all in one block. And then from everything that goes on for the next, you know, say. 200 1000 blocks um it just that's what says that's that's the new balances of our accounts until john decides to make a purchase somewhere he then sends 0.1 bitcoin to somebody now he has 0.9 um so minus 0.1 and whoever he sends that bitcoin to is now from 0 to plus 0.1 and then that is now written so those accounts are all seen on what they call a blockchain explorer all right. So similar to how you would open up Bank of America um, or any of your, you know, traditional banking websites, you can see a list of all your transactions. 
this is very similar to that. So you just type in your account number, which is the what they call referred to as the public address of of uh, of your crypto. There is uh, there's a public address and there is a private address, which is referred to as the key. So the private key, right? So um, anytime that you're learning these things, you want to be wary. Uh, you know, you're only using you only show people your public address, never your uh, private address or keys because that gives them access to your funds right so um, as we go forward we're kind of be just kind of adding little pieces of information about what I think is important and um, discussing these topics right so um, next we have a um, what they refer to as um, kind of like the trans you know, every time you're sending money there's usually some sort of fee, right? So if you're sending money at a store, it's uh, uh, you're buying something at a store, they might charge 3.5%, 3%, 3 um, you know, little small fee um, for using a credit card, right? Um, so that is getting that money somewhere else causes, you know, takes electricity and manpower, so they charge a small fee, right? So same thing happens here with Bitcoin. And that is how the whole system functions. So every time that I wanted to send John that that one Bitcoin, I have to pay a super tiny fee to everyone else that is confirming my transactions, right? So um, when I send that that one Bitcoin, I have to send a transaction fee of say 0 0.00001 Bitcoin. So it's a very small amount, but that is what's confirming the upcoming blocks, right? So how's that? How's that for you? Well, I have a, a, a question about it, Go for uh, it, Austin. Yeah, and and that is you used an interesting phrase, or it's a phrase that caught my attention. You said um, it has to be paid for because um, everyone else has to validate the transaction or mm -hmm. or words to that effect and if uh, could you explain who everyone else is that, that is yeah, for sure. making that uh, transaction uh, valid yeah, yeah because in my experience sure. with with banking well you know there's a re recording and they there's a a bank or a credit card company is involved or whatever and uh, they're the ones doing the record keeping and the validating so this is For different sure. in some fashion exactly yeah so when you send a traditional how he was just talking you you know you're buying something at the store your bank um is talking to whoever the store's bank is saying hey this person just purchased a hundred dollars worth of groceries we are going to now debit their account and send it to your bank, right? And that's how it works. So there's a person involved, and this is what they refer to as a trusted middleman. So um, all of these, you know, banks that we use in our daily lives are 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 we are trusting them with our money because they have a good track record. Um, and that is, you know, the more trustworthy the bank is, the, you know, the more, usually the more money they hold, right? So all these new banks um, coming up are less trustworthy, probably less people using them. So a similar thing is happening with Bitcoin, except it's referred to as a trustless environment. Okay, so 
what that means is all the people that are confirming your transaction is no longer one single entity as you know like say your bank it is now a group of people they refer to as miners so miners are people who are using their computers power to solve algorithms this does sound a little bit complicated but pretty much is what they're doing is they've chosen to use their com nice computer and electricity and their time to confirm your spends okay so i'm sending that one bitcoin to john i send my transaction fee as well and then these miners are again using their time to prove every transaction inside that block of data that I have chosen to send at that time. Okay. So their computers then, is this a little com confusing with you? I see a suit forward there. Well, I wanted to ask about the miners. Yes. Miners as in gold miners, not. Yes. Like child yeah, miners. Under 18. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little worrisome. Yeah. Just kidding. Um, the, so you have a, a group of miners, a group of people who are using their computers to solve algorithms, and that process is uh, validating these tran transactions. So are you saying to me that there are literally uh, people um, out there somewhere and people mm -hmm. out there somewhere in different places d doing the same thing? They've got computers. They're making sure yep. their computers mm -hmm are running smoothly and are in yep. a cool enough environment to keep running and and mm -hmm. they're monitoring them and so forth. And this is real work to support this, to, 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 well, in plain language, to support the Bitcoin currency. Exactly. Yep. So, um, you know, all over the world, there's different uh, groups of miners. Um, you know, anyone can do it. You can fire up your computer and turn it on and like start using your com your computer strength to go towards mining Bitcoin. They refer to it as um, hash rates. So anytime that you're you are sending a transaction talking about these blocks, each block and how the Bitcoin network currently works has a reward. So the only reason that people would be doing this is because they're going to get some sort of monetary value out of it. Right. Like you're not going to spend all your time and spend your energy and spend your electricity for no reason. Like you're not. I want money. I want to be paid right. for this this transaction. Mm -hmm. Same thing with like Visa and MasterCard. They want to be paid for all of their time spent confirming all of your transactions at the bank and at stores. OK, so they get that three percent. So same thing is happening here, except they're instead of Visa and MasterCard being one entity doing all of it. It is now millions, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people doing that, right, with their computers. So okay, each so 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 yeah. the so you have a lot of redundancy there, but the the exactly. value of that redundancy is kind. It of makes a, the system harder to 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 break, or makes it harder to hack. Um, and or that is one or of invalidate. The, yeah. And validate. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and the same thing can happen if I try to send a what they refer to as like a bad transaction or be a bad actor in this system. You know, I'm going to say 
you know, some way I'm, I'm going to, I don't actually have how much Bitcoin I, I say I have, right? So say I'm trying to send a transaction with 10 Bitcoins and I only have five, right? Mm -hmm. Then they look at your, all these previous blocks that you have received money and they're going to say, well, no, you can't do that because you only have five in our ledger. Okay. So that means that all of those proven blocks in the past are saying, no, this guy doesn't have enough money and he can't do that. There is no credit system um, how we use our with our traditional finance in with blockchain technology. It is only money that you actually have can function. Right. I so, see. you know, each time that they that someone uses their time and energy to spend and they, they collect all of the fees that everyone in that block um, is sending. Right. So let's say. Pretty much every two minutes, a block is what they call is solved. So every two minutes, a computer finds the right phrase, and then it rewards them with all of the mining fees and the reward of the block um, itself. So you know they'll get a payout of like you know probably one point seven Bitcoin ish, something like that. Um, so it's a you know pretty substantial amount of money at the current time. That's like pretty much like twenty seven thousand dollars. That right. every time you solve one of these things so that's where the incentive lies as you know each time that these transactions are are put into place so the people confirming it split that reward of twenty seven thousand dollars so let me ask you this austin and if it's yeah. too too much of a digression just tell me because it, these thoughts come up so then would you have big minor outfits and Absolutely. smaller minor outfits and competition mm -hmm. among minor uh, outfits because Absolutely. hey you can generate you can make money exactly it'll spawn um, competition so, yep so over time we have seen that uh, since the beginning of bitcoin uh, literally in 2010 you could turn on your laptop and be mining like you know 50 bitcoin you know a day no problem just by turning your computer on and, and letting it run the system now there is warehouses full of computers that are trying to, um, uh, you know, solve these the fastest. Whoever solves it the fastest gets the reward, right? So there's two different um, mechanisms that people do this with. So there is what they call a pool miner. Um, so everyone is agreeing that if one of the people in our group or our pool solves it, we split it equally between everyone in this pool. So if you have like a small computer um, or you run a couple of small mining computers, you can join other small miners together and become a large miner in theory, right? So everyone can mm -hmm. kind of pool their their power together to, to split the fees between amongst themselves. So say like the largest pool... Um, you know, is like nice hash, I believe it's called, but they, you know, they have, you know, tons and tons, you know, hundred thousand people splitting that, that reward. And it's all based on their weight of their computing power. Does that make sense? I see. It does make yeah. sense. Yeah. So there's also, you know, just straight up, you know, farms of, of nodes where people are just running them all the time. And if they get the block, they get the full reward. Um, uh, but you have to have a really, you know, nowadays you have to have an insanely powerful computer, um, or a series of computers running it, you know, probably upwards of a hundred thousand to $200,000 worth of equipment. Which is going to, they also have to have, be in a place where there's a uh, availability cheap. of, I would, cheap electricity, cheap electricity. Yes, yep. I would think. Um, and that's actually, 
you know, we're going to digress a little bit here, but I think it's a, it's a good digression because we see, um, I would say a lot of the mainstream media attacks cryptocurrency as being very wasteful of energy. Um, it's uh-huh. one of the biggest complaints I, I, I've hear from people. They're like, well, well, that's really bad for the environment. And I, I say, actually, it's the complete opposite. I think over time, Bitcoin actually incentivizes wasted electricity. So uh, we actually have a absorbent amount of wasted energy that is spent uh-huh. all the time through heat and loss of all these of uh, energy just in, in like and you know say um you know mining actual like natural gas you know you get all this wasted extra natural gas like coming off the ground um that's being wasted and diffused into the environment um these things can then be you know all these sustainable reusable energies that are kind of developing with solar um you know wind turbine all these things when they have a lot of excess energy you technically can use bitcoin to store this extra energy Right. So um, when you have good, really sunny days, you're producing too much electricity to be used and stored. We actually can't, you know, the 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 use of energy is actually limited on the fact of the storage portion of it. Right. So, you know, solar energy produces an insane amount of energy for us, but we actually can't store it. So when we have uh, enough of it, so like when we have days that don't have any sun, we are depleting our storage really quickly. Right. So the, yes. the limitation of, of using good and clean energy comes from the storage of it, not from the production of it. So as these things are uh, so you could, you know, introduce a Bitcoin mining farm into a solar panel uh, array to where it, if you have a pr- extra production, it can use that extra energy to produce money for you through Bitcoin. You know, it's a little bit analogous to. The um, I think of the Tesla and some of the other electric automobiles that recognize the energy in braking and yeah. take the energy in braking and put it back into assisting in charging the batteries. Exactly. Uh, which is which uh, pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Kind of so you're, you're you're yeah, exactly. You're 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 collecting that wasted energy of slowing down your car to then feed into the battery. Right. Um, right. And same thing happens here is when you have excess solar energy or whatever, you can then use, um, you know, it incentivizes the growth of sustainable energy sources. Right. right. So, inst- you know, when we actually use fossil fuels, we're just burning energy. Right. Um, you, you're burning energy so other people can, can distribute it to electricity through coal farming, you know, coal mining, right. all that stuff, um, coal plants, stuff like that these types of things kind of incentivize people to use cleaner energy because it's much, much cheaper if you can produce it at, at scale. Yep. Um, and that's one of the reasons that, uh, um, I know this is a, is a bit, a bit of a digression again, but I think it's a, a, a important one, but it, you know, when we talk about, you know, most people have probably heard that El Salvador or if you haven't, El Salvador is, is currently trying to switch from their unit of dollars to Bitcoin as their currency of, of exchange, right? Right. So they get a lot of flack on this. Um, they everyone's like, "Oh, it's a poor country already." You know, you're buying money for your, you know, you're buying all this uh, Bitcoin for, you know, with your people's money, and then now it's down a bunch. But I will say, on the longer term, their goal is to produce these clean energy sources 
through their volcanoes. So like El Salvador has a whole bunch of volcanoes, active volcanoes inside of its uh, territory. Um, so each one of these uh, volcanoes can pretty much be harnessed to make what they call a, a steam turbine engine to produce energy. So they have a deep geothermal well runs water piping through there. The water gets superheated by the lava and the volcano and then back up at the surface, it, it spins a turbine to create all this energy through steam, right? Yes. Um, so that is producing a bunch of clean energy, and they can harness that to then produce a bunch of Bitcoin. And that can be that's their longer-term goal is to produce clean energy Bitcoin as an export, I think. And I think that, you know, that's a very long time away. But I, I definitely see, you know, the countries that can kind of harness these things – as a you know, as a whole country, will will do very well in the long term. I personally think. Yes, yes, and the entire mining industry. Just to be clear, it one of its major focus is to uh, it's the decentralized validation source. Yeah, for the coin. For sure. It, yeah. So, like these networks of miners are pretty much um, making it no single fail point system. Just how, you know, not super often, but we've seen the internet, we've seen a lot of like really popular websites go down where people couldn't access like Google or Facebook or anything because a server, you know, a large server went down in the US. Um, so we couldn't access it for like a couple hours. When there's a lot of redundancies, that isn't uh, the case, right? So, you know, if one node goes down, you can picture it as a like giant spider web where they'll just reroute to a different node um, instead of having, you know, one large fail point, you know, instead of having one centralized location sending out, now there's a bunch of spider webs all over the the globe that are able to kind of keep it functioning and running. The key is redundancy, isn't it? Yeah. So again, and, and, and since the inception of Bitcoin, which was invented in 2010, it's it's never really gone down. It's 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 just constantly up because people are more and more and more people are supporting it. Um, so a lot of people are believing in this in this system, and uh, you, you can kind of see over the past couple years, it's it's pretty it's growing more and more rapidly. Yes. Um, you know when we've kind of gone straight a little far but we, we can uh, no 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 actually it holds ahead. it holds together for for me completely it leads me to a, 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 the ability to ask a question now and and that is um so how are is the blockchain technology different from cloud-based storage technology i get that that yeah it's perhaps there's a there's a this mining system creates more validity and reliability redundancy. to mm. redundancy to the transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you could comment on are there are there other differences and then the 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 use differences between the the two ways of storing something. Okay. Um, yeah, for sure. So just how I was talking about like your your websites that kind of go down or you know. There's generally like not very many servers running all of our data that we use for the entire internet. You know, so like Amazon Web Services, Google, uh, like GoDaddy hosts servers. There's these large server farms that host all of our data online. And, you know, let's just say, for example, there's like 10, 
right? So if it was to come under attack or, you know, something was to go wrong, you only have a few redundancies. You only have like nine redundancies right. to run, to reroute that internet traffic. And in this situation, you now have, you know, a lot of redundancies. You have like millions of redundancies where there's new more nodes all over the place. It does, you know, it's a little bit different just because blockchain is so new. You can't really store a lot of data per block. You know, you get about two megabits, which if you, you know, it's very small. So you're not storing files. You're not storing music videos. You're not storing movies. These are things that I think will come later with time. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, we've, we, we, we produce, you know, from the floppy disk to the current iteration is, uh, it's kind of like a life cycle of, of one thing. Like we've, we've inc increased all of the data, uh, to storage is super high now. And now we've kind of gone back and said, well, yes, now we've made everything digital, but it, it's so easy to copy everything. Like, you know, We've seen it over the past couple years. You know, people are always like, uh, you can download movies, you know, without any repercussions, really. Like anyone can find um, a copy of a digital item and, 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 and copy it and paste it, right? So, you know, I could send you a, a movie that I didn't pay for. I could send you a book that wasn't, I didn't pay for. I don't own the, the rights to these things. And data can is is constantly being able to kind of you know manipulate that that aspect of it, and then now we've kind of taken it back to where these digital things are now more like picturing like a physical item. If I want to send you a book, I can't just copy and paste it and send you a book. I now send you a token representation of the book to you and then now you can access it on your device or something like that right so it, it it kind of tags each physical item with a um or yeah each uh, digital item with like a physical tangible um kind of like aspect to it if that does that make sense it does yeah so we, it's almost like kind of when the the blockchain invention is kind of like going way back in storage capacity Know, way back in time to storage capacity now we can't store very many things on the blockchain but over time we will get bigger and bigger and bigger i think as computers get uh, better and better over time i think that's a little understood fact but an important one so it's not as efficient as other storage mechanisms but it's, yeah, more it's very inefficient but it's very, very yeah exactly so yeah so we're, the, the the value here is not how much something can store but how um how how much validity and trust can be developed in that being the actual amount, like the, the value of the uh, scarcity of it or the value of it, it can't be misspent. Um, so right. the third, there is one the term party, that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The third party trust factor is now gone Yes, at, at the base level. So that if I wanted to send you that Bitcoin and I didn't even know who you were, you know, you can use an like what they refer to like as an escrow account where there's two triggers. Um, so like, say I wanted to buy, uh, uh, you know, whatever you're, you're selling me a, a, a baseball card on the internet. Right. So generally now we would have probably used something like eBay. Like I would find that card on eBay. 
I would send my money. eBay would hold that money until the card reached my house. Then I say, oh, I got it. And then boom, now they send the money out to you, right? Mm -hmm. And again, that's a third-party trust. So now something happens more so like if I wanted to send uh, you money with through Bitcoin, um, same thing could happen. I could, I could, we both could agree on a, a Bitcoin escrow account to use. I send my one Bitcoin in, you send me the card, and when I receive it, I can hit yes, and then that Bitcoin will then send to your wallet without any other actual entity. You know, it's all software instead of a, a person, which, right. in, you know, has human error. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it is a really, I think, a really tough concept for people to understand. And it has taken me a really long time to kind of grasp that, you know, the, the whole like trust, you know, trustless environment thing. And it, it, it is, again, it's, and it, that doesn't mean that, you know, anything you click with blockchain is, is, trustless like there's definitely a lot of things that are you know they give the appearance of 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 blockchain but they're they're really just people trying to like steal your money or anything like that it's harder to be dishonest because of the redundancy yeah. and the verification yeah. right exactly it's, like um, easy to yeah, understand so, yeah mm -hmm. yeah so i can see your 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 account i can see your past transactions um before i even agree to do a trade with you right so yes. say you send me your account, I, you know, he sent this account. He was, looks like he was doing fishy things, um, with a, un, you know, with a reported scammer, like you've, mm -hmm. you've received money from a reported scammer before. Um, I'm less likely to do business with you because I can see your transactions that way. Right. You can't see that. Yes. That's how, what, what feedback is on eBay or something like that. But I can just see all of your, you know, if you give me your public address, I can see all of the things that you have done over the past, you know, however long you've been using Bitcoin. Right. Right. Um, so it, it kind of, uh, the, the trustless thing environment comes from just everyone being able to see all transactions. It, the it takes away the trustless that. dynamic invites honesty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's definitely something that I say your your age category has a hard time understanding for sure, just because you've grown up your entire yeah. lives with having to trust somebody with your money, right? right. Um, and uh, now it, we the younger generation, you know, if you you've kind of seen these computers that that. They, it, it kind of has that with your data a little bit more so. And we, we become very, um, you know, I feel like children now are just like innately, you know, born with like computer usage knowledge practically. So I think it, it, it definitely for them, it's not super hard to wrap your head around. But, you know, I think it is definitely more and more difficult um, the older you get just because you've been using this system for such a long time. And it's such a radical change. Yes. Well, well, you've got my uh, head filled, um, as is often the case, but I really have a much better understanding of it than when we started this some 45 minutes ago. For sure. Um, and I really appreciate it. Maybe the next time we talk, I, I do know just from chatting with uh, peers who have some understanding about the blockchain that the blockchain, it has the uses supporting uh, Bitcoin, but it also has other 
uses. Uh, the term smart contracts has been floated yep. about, and there there's flexibility in the use of a block the blockchain technology for exactly. Um, decentralized finance and, and, and gaming and other things, which I don't really understand a lot about. Um, but Perfect. I know that my my peer group would have a great interest in it, particularly, sure. the, particularly the decentralized finance aspect uh, of it, because our, our history is there's always a third party. There's always a lender. Yeah, there's collecting always a that, bank, There's that always money, a creditor. You know. there's a, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah, yeah, that can be a really good next topic. We can kind of go into decentralized finance. So, uh, as your homework for uh, listeners, if you're trying to learn, like, educate yourselves on these things, you know, kind of wrap your head around what a a blockchain is. We kind of covered it a little bit. Basic definitions. Um, you know, we kind of we kind of went off topic a little bit, but I think it was all something that was very important and and kind of understanding the long term use cases of these things with the whole, uh, you know, reusable energy and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I would say, you know, looking at what a blockchain is, you know, like I said, if you haven't done it yet, looking for a Trezor or Ledger wallet to store your cryptocurrencies on, and we can kind of go into, you know, what is a smart contract and what are, um, what was decentralized finance on the next episode. Great. Hey, Austin, thank you so much for your time and, um, thinking and uh, sharing your knowledge and, and information with about crypto it's a it's a, a complicated topic there's you know there's these abstract components that you have to boil down to concrete terms like yeah there's a bunch of guys we call them miners and they got computer systems and they're running those things all day long to validate yeah. the bitcoin transactions exactly so yeah looking up what miners are if you if you don't really understand that you can look up um what uh, transaction and gas fees are referring to. Um, you know, these are the small couple small definitions that if you kind of build your knowledge at a foundational level that we can, you know, start understanding, you know, more of what we're talking about as we as we go forward. That's the end of our second episode on Old Dog New Tricks. Um, I'm Austin and I'm with my co-host John here and we will see you next time. Have a great Thanks, day. Austin. See you then.